strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Jen. And I'm Robin. And tonight I'm going to tell you a story about supply, demand, capitalism, and crime. And no, this is not your college economics class. I was going to say that. I know. Damn you. Well, you said it before when we had to re-record this intro. <laughs> but this is a story of Burke and Hare and resurrectionists. Resurrectionists? Yes. All right. So, in the early 19th century, Edinburgh in Scotland had become one of the leading centers of anatomic study. It was here that many pioneering anatomy teachers were centered, including Alexander Morrow, John Bell, John Goodsir, and Robert Knox. Students traveled from far and wide to study with these men. They were groundbreaking, and they actually turned the field of anatomy into a science. There was a major issue at this time, though, that hindered the education of these new anatomists, and that was the supply of cadavers. Cadavers, as you may or may not know, are deceased human specimens Mm -hmm. used for dissection. Um, in medical schools today, mm-hmm. just for medical study. Yep. So at this time, according to Scottish law, the only suitable corpses that could be utilized for teaching anatomic dissection were those who had died in prison, suicide victims, or the bodies of foundlings or orphans. Aww. So it was very... So no one claimed them, basically. Specific, yeah. The unclaimed, and that is all. So they didn't take into account people that would donate their body to science? No. So at this time, like... In So in the late 18th, early 19th century, there was a pretty steady supply of corpses coming into those schools because of what was known as the bloody code. So the bloody code was a term that was used for the system of crime and punishment throughout Great Britain at this time, for which over 200 crimes were punishable by death. Whoa. Things as simple as like stealing a piece of food. Yeah could be punished by death. So oftentimes what actually happened when people went to trial is the juries would actually undercut the thing, um, the price of what the item was worth to try to keep people from being hanged. Oh, okay. Because there were so many just yeah. very small offenses. Children. Punishable by death. And we know that the Murder Act allowed people who were being hanged to immediately be dissected. So... It was there was a good amount of specimens coming in. And that was until 1823. And that saw a little bit of a change in the way that the law worked in Great Britain. The Judgment of Death Act went into effect, which allowed judges to commute death sentences based on their particular judgment. So they could be like, this crime is not so severe to warrant death. And they could say, you know, time served or Let's, we're going to take the death penalty off the table and you're going to serve two years or mm-hmm. whatever. So it allowed the judge to make that decision instead of it just being a death sentence. But this is a problem for the anatomist because the body supply dried up pretty quickly. What are they going to work on? Oh, no. <laughs> so at this time, the body supply is dwindling, but the medical training is gaining in popularity and prominence and supply could not meet demand. Oh, for every problem, there is a solution. Oh, no. And in come the resurrectionists. These resurrection men were commonly employed by anatomists throughout the UK during the 18th and 19th centuries. They were employed to exhume the bodies of the recently deceased. The price per corpse changed depending on the season. It was eight pounds during the summer when the warmer temperatures brought about quicker decomposition. 
and about 10 pounds in the winter months when the demand by anatomists was greater because the colder temperatures meant that they could store the corpses longer and undertook more dissections. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Supply, demand. The resurrectionists, though, they worked within a legal gray area. It was illegal to disturb a grave. Absolutely. It was illegal to steal items from a grave. Grave robbers, yes. But it was not illegal to To steal steal a body. body. Because the body doesn't belong to anyone legally. So. Get the fuck. Right? It actually belongs to that cemetery. It doesn't. No? No. You buy the place. So it's yours. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pi, People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the uh, get to know you at a deeper level, the who, what, when, where, and why you are rather than what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting if they have kids, what shapes their marriages if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. Right. And I have no friends, so for me, it's, you know. Try to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to. (laughs) Podcasts on? Yeah, podcasts, homecasts. Your your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. Though it was a legal gray area, this was not a trade that was safe by any means. These men risked physical attack if caught. Measures were often taken to prevent them from stealing corpses. At this time, watchtowers went up in graveyards. I was going to say, I'm like, what about the graveyard shift? Like, what was about yes. the men that walked around all yes. the time and checking things out? Yes, this is where graveyard shift comes from. Men worked overnight and basically to catch yeah. the resurrectionists. I thought they were also, like, I remember they during wartime, they walked around to hear if, if, to see if they heard the bell and see if anyone was buried yes. alive. So it's like. But that was more, it was a bit more myth. This is a little um, bit more got it, like. Got it. I like to think it's a little. There fun. were legitimate people who were there to steal, <laughs> to steal the corpses. I know. Can you, I just. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure there's ever been a documented case of the bell actually being rung and it being Can a live imagine? person inside. Can you imagine? But there were many documented cases of resurrectionists or grave, grave, grave robbers stealing yeah. corpses. So watchtowers went up in graveyards. Security guards were employed, and the advent of the mort safe came into effect, which was an iron cage Mm -hmm. that went around the coffin, Mm -hmm. which kept people from getting into the coffin. Well, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but what about also, um, I know that the cemetery that's around the corner has a home on its property. Like the gravekeeper's house. Is that the person that should also? I think ideally they were there during the day and they were probably sleeping at night. There had to be a specialized person. Mm. And probably also a tougher person. I know. To take down anyone who's like, Because you're you're probably capturing a group of people. A group of people. Stealing. With shovels and things that. Other weapons, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Crowbars. Right. Yeah. So there was the mort safe. And then there were also families who would rent out heavy stone slabs that would be placed over the top of fresh graves. And they would keep the stone slab there just until the corpse actually started to decompose. And then they would just. Well, actually, rented so, out to the next family. Well, no, in some in some cases they kept them. 
You're just talking about a specific kind of grave, oh. but these are just literally like a slab of stone. Just that a, just an went extra on the ground, bolt kind of a thing. Yeah, one slab bolt just went on the ground until the body started to decompose, and then the company would rent it out to the next family. You don't think that someone would be able to move that if they had the right equipment or manpower? But it, no, these were very heavy stone slabs. This was like not a manpower situation. Got it. So by the 1820s, the residents of Edinburgh who were there during this like height of surgical education um, are watching their family members being stolen out of the grave consistently. At this point, they are protesting the increase in the grave robbing. Shit's hitting the fan. More and more medical students are hitting town. Now, I will introduce you to the two men who are the center of the very sordid tale. It's a very popular tale. And it is the story of the Burke and Hare murders. I've heard of Burke and Hare only because I come from a line of Burks, but I don't remember exactly. Okay, well, William Burke was born in 1792 in County Tyrone, Ireland, to a middle-class family, and both he and his brother joined the British Army as teenagers. Burke was a member of the Donegal Militia until he met and married a young woman from County Mayo. Though their marriage did not last long, and by 1818, after an argument with his father-in-law, he abandoned his wife and children and moved to Scotland, where he began working as a laborer on the Union Canal. While living in the village at Madison, he met a woman named Helen McDougall, who became his second wife. After his work on the canal had finished, he and his wife moved to Tanner's Close, uh, a neighborhood in Edinburgh, and this was in November of 1827. It was here that he became a relatively successful cobbler, known to be good-humored, often singing and dancing for his clients. He was known to be a religious man, always seen to be carrying a Bible in his hand. His cohort, William Hare. This man is a little bit more of a mystery. There's very little known about him prior to this time. His date and place of birth are both left up for debate. At the time of his arrest, it was said that he was 21 years old, but he appeared much older. Yeah. But he probably worked as a laborer in Ireland before traveling to work on the Union Canal. He moved to Edinburgh in the mid-1820s, where he worked as a Coleman's assistant. Seems like a shitty job. <laughs> anyway, uh, while working his shitty Coleman's assistant job, he starts to live in a rooming house in Tanner's clothes. This rooming house was owned by a man named Logue and his wife, Margaret. While Hare is living there, the owner's the owner dies. Logue, he dies. There's no telling if there's any suspicious circumstances or not. While Hare lived there, the owner died, and it seemed that he married the widow very quickly. They were not great people, by any account. They were known to be a bit rough, a little drunk, and mostly ill-tempered. So, in 1827, Burke, the previous gentleman, William mm -hmm. Burke, because there's William Burke and William Hare, so I'm just mm -hmm. going to call them by last names, Burke and Hare. Perfect. So, 1827, Burke and his lady, McDougal. <laughs> I just called her the Lady McDougal. I, I don't it. know why that was my it. choice, but yes. Um, so they're working as agricultural laborers, and it was here that they met William Hare. The men became fast friends. And when Burke and McDougal returned back to Edinburgh, they moved into the rooming house that Hare's wife owned there okay. in Tanner's clothes. So now these four people, these two men, two women, are all hanging out, living in this house. In this rooming house, there's other people that live there, but they are getting down to some bad shit. These four people, bad reputation, reputation for hard drinking and boisterous behavior. So this is just, sometimes you just fall in with the wrong crowd, and sometimes those people that you meet just bring out all your worst qualities. Oh, man. And they just go right along with every dipshit idea you have, uh -huh. and you're just a little drunk, and... 
That's when bad things happen. That was the case with these two rascals. Anyway. Rascals. Very good. Very good word. I am just all about Stuck on rascals. So here we are in Edinburgh at the height of the anatomy craze. Grave robbing going on left and right. These four characters chilling in this lodging house when one of the lodgers dies of natural causes. So here. <laughs> really? Really? Natural causes? Really? Yes. Yes. Okay. So there is a man who lives here in the rooming house. His name is Donald. He's a pensioner. He gets his like quarterly pension, and with that, he pays his bills. Just an older gentleman, gentleman. just doing his thing, living in the lodging house. You know, I imagine Donald probably doesn't have a lot of family. Maybe he hasn't always been the nicest guy. Maybe he like abandoned some children along the way. I don't know. I have a whole backstory for Donald. It's not real. It's based in zero fact. In fact, I don't even know his last name. But Donald Donald dies here in the rooming house of what is called dropsy. And you know, I can't just... I can't just go and not figure out what what that is, right? So <laughs> I have to figure out what dropsy is. So dropsy is actually edema or swelling, mm-hmm. which I'm assuming is congestive heart failure. Medical people out there know what I'm talking about. Because typically when you have heart failure, you get swelling in like legs, mm-hmm. arms, whatever. So I'm assuming that dropsy is kind of long and short of dying of congestive heart failure. They're in the rooming house. It's like dropsy just meaning like everything just goes south, kind of like dropsies. I'm, yeah, I'm assuming just the you, drops. Get the, you get the big fat legs and eventually you die. So here, old Donald goes ahead and dies, but unfortunately he died before his pension arrived. So he died owing four pounds in back rent to Hare's boarding house. So one night, Hare, sitting there with Burke, starts bitching about how he didn't get paid by Donald before he died. They have an idea. Burke is like, hey man, you know what we should do? I heard you can sell bodies. Oh, fuck you, Burke. Right? God damn it. So this is, Burke is the religious one. <laughs> anyway, so they decide, and this is what they're going to do. A carpenter provided the coffin for the burial, which was paid for by the local parish. Mm-hmm. After the carpenter left, the pair opened up the coffin, removed the body, hid it under the bed. Oh, no, no. Which is an ongoing theme no, here, no. by the way. Just so you know, there's a lot of bodies under the bed in this story. They take his body out. They filled the coffin with bark. I'm like, that had to be a fucking lot of bark. Anyway, and resealed it. So Destroyed an entire fucking tree. So they come, they take the coffin, the coffin leaves for burial, and they just go ahead and wrap old Donald up and take him over to Edinburgh University. They got old Donald's corpse, they wrap him up, and they go off to the college, right? So here they are, Edinburgh University. Where? They're looking for a purchaser. Um, Burke tells later in his testimony, kind of gives an idea of exactly how this all went down. So they bring the body to Edinburgh University, and they look for directions to Professor Munro's uh, area so they can try to sell him. But a student instead sent them to Knox's premises in Surgeon's Square. Although the men dealt with juniors when discussing the possibility of selling the body, it was Knox who arrived and decided on the fixed price, which was seven pounds, 10 shillings. Hare received four pounds, five shillings, while Burke took the balance of three pounds, five shillings. Hare got the larger portion because he was actually owed money by the deceased. According to Burke's official confession, as he and Hare left the university, one of Knox's assistants approached them and said, hey, by the way. We would be glad to see you again if you have anyone else to dispose of. Oh, so now they're going to make a business out of this, right? So, supply, demand, and these two set off on a motherfucking murder spree. Murder spree. Here we go. So the first one, died natural causes. But 
And here we go. January or February of 1828. So there is some conflict about the exact order of the murders. Okay. But at the end of the day, there are many of them. So here we go. Well, uh, the first murder happened probably in very early spring, 1828, January or February. And it was Joseph the Miller, who was a sick tenant who lived there in the actual, in the boarding house. Mm -hmm. So what they did was they plied him with whiskey and then suffocated him. And then there were no more sickly tenants. So now you have uh, old Donald who died of the dropsy. You got Joseph who was already kind of sickly and they went ahead and got him drunk and suffocated him and sold him. So now we're, we have one natural causes, one murder. Right? To, to look like a natural cause. I just drink but himself. Yeah, right. Yeah. So in February, 1828, they invited pensioner Abigail Simpson to spend the night before her return home using the same MO. They served Simpson a significant amount of alcohol with the intention of intoxicating her and then they smothered her, sold her to the Edinburgh College of Surgeons for 10 pounds. Can you imagine how much alcohol it would take for someone to smother us? For me, a good fucking amount. Can you imagine? Oh, we're going to smother you. Here, drink this. Okay. <laughs> so those two took place in like the early spring. Mm -hmm. Then on we go into April, where Burke met two women, one Mary Patterson and Janet Brown, in the Canongate area of Edinburgh. He brought these two women uh, back to the lodging where he plied them with alcohol and told them that they could stay overnight and then have breakfast. The three left the tavern with two bottles of whiskey and went instead of going to the boarding house, they went to his brother's house. And after his brother left for work, Burke and the women finished the whiskey and Patterson fell asleep at the table. Burke and Brown then continued to talk. Um, eventually, Brown got into a fight with one of them and actually left. So one woman left, one woman stayed. Janet Brown ended up leaving because she was pissed off when she found out that Burke was married. So they got into this fight. She was like pissed off. She's like, I didn't know you're married. This is bullshit. I'm out of here. So these women, Janet Brown and Mary Patterson, were sex workers. Got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Burke brought them back. They thought for work initially. So one's passed out at this point. The other one is mad because now she realizes that she's not going to get paid. So she deuces it. She's like, I'm out of here. So, so at this point, Burke's wife, uh, McDougal, she leaves and she goes and she gets William Hare and his wife and they come back to the house. And at this point, this is when they murder Mary Patterson in her sleep in the same method, which becomes known as burking. Oh, so Jesus. it is when a person has drank a lot passed out and you sit on their chest and smother them holding their nose and something over their mouths so your body weight keeps them from being able to take a good breath while you cover while you their cover their mouth and nose so they can't take a breath in either burking burking all right sorry and then that afternoon the pair took the body to dr knox where they were paid eight pounds for her corpse eight pounds yes and you should also know that Burke's wife, McDougal, kept Patterson's skirt and petticoats. And it was said that the corpse was still warm when it was delivered. Oh, so it was like two hours? A corpse stays warm for a while, but I'm sure they didn't keep her around for too long if they had a place to readily get rid of her. I don't think, I don't think it was any more than eight hours. 
Certainly less than eight hours. Yeah. So Ferguson, one of Knox's assistants, asked where they had obtained the body uh, because he thought that he recognized her. Burke explained, <laughs> you know, medical students, you know. familiar. She looks kind of familiar to me. Um, Burke explained that the girl had drunk herself to death and that they purchased it from an old woman in the Cannon Gate. Knox was delighted with the corpse and stored it in whiskey for three months before dissecting it. Oh, my God. When Brown later came back, the, this is the lady who left, to Wouldn't search for her friend. Disintegrate, like disintegrate her? Oh, my God. I do not know the effects of whiskey on a corpse. <laughs> I just I'm asking you, I'm looking at you as a answer. Your like, eyes I are so big. That that would be, I don't know. I'm actually wondering about the other girl that ran away, but like, you're married, screw you. And she ran. Did she not notice that her friend went missing? Sorry. Well, yeah. She did notice her friend went missing. So she comes back and she's like, yo, what the fuck? Where's Mary? <laughs> so she comes back. Um, so Brown comes back searching for her friend and they were told that she had left for Glasgow with a traveling salesman. Bullshit. Yep. So at some point. I will never leave you, by the way. <laughs> if I'm pissed off that the guy I'm trying to sell myself to is married, I would just stay outside on the front porch and just wait for you to come outside and meet me. Yes. Girls, never leave your never girlfriends behind. leave them behind. I'm sorry. You're past out the table at this point. I'm going to fucking pick you up and carry just out with wake me. you up. Yeah. Why didn't she just wake her up? Yeah. You'd be like, so Mary. You leave her passed out? Let's get the fuck out of here. This guy's fucking married. We're making no money. Throw you over my shoulder and at carry At this point, out. you've had a great night of free drinks. Get the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Take your friend. Girl. Bye. Never leave a girl behind. Girl, bye. Thank you so much for listening to part one of the Burke and Hare Murders Part two will be out next week where you'll find out how these scoundrels got caught and all about some of the weird artifacts that got left behind. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, there are a couple of things that you can do to help us out. You can leave a positive review wherever you're listening now. You can also go to patreon.com forward slash notorious narratives where you can access content that is exclusive for our patrons. And remember, keep it weird and never stop exploring.